17 to 31. Uh, we're going to read it in a moment. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17 to 31. If you're visiting us, we're just going through this book. Uh, it's actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 31. Um, so, I, I, I've caught myself doing this quite often. Um, caught myself boasting. I don't know if you've ever caught yourself doing that. We, we know that it's not right, um, so we find these subtle ways of doing it. You know, maybe it's like a little name drop. Um, when I was having supper with Taylor Swift the other night, <laughs> or something like that. Or maybe we just want people to notice our car, um, or to know what we've achieved, what we've built. Uh, it was always great when I was in engineering because, you know, it was just so visible what you did. We built this dam, you know. We'd be flying, um, and, uh, and I'd be saying, wow, you know, Stuart Scott built that dam down there, and people could look down and see this dam that Stuart Scott had built, and somehow by association, you know, I was, um, I was feeling worthy for having been involved. Um, and then there's social media, isn't there? I mean, that is just a perfect platform, the internet, for boasting. You know, look, look where I am. Look at the view from my window. Look what I'm doing. Look who's with me. All of these things, just like, look, look. But the important thing is not so much to feel guilty about our boasting, but to use it as a dashboard indicator that points to something. And what does boasting point to? What do we learn from boasting? Well, we boast about the things that we are depending on. Depending on for what? So, for example, two little guys are facing up to each other behind the uh, bicycle shed at school, and they're about to have a fight, and the one little guy says, my brother is much bigger than me. He's bigger than you. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's boasting in his brother because he's depending on his brother to bail him out. Um, and unfortunately, I have to say, I could never do that because my brother, who was bigger and stronger, was younger than me. <laughs> so that was a bit of a problem. Um, but then there's also, you know, my dad is, you know, he drives a better car than your dad. So somehow, by association, we get status from our family or our school. You know, my school is much better than your school because we beat you in rugby. And we're depending somehow on the school to provide us with a sense of self-worth. And that's usually what it's about, folks. Our boasting is usually about self-worth. And we hunger for self-worth because somehow we feel that if we're a person of value and worth, then people are going to love us. They're going to take care of us. They're going to show us respect. We'll have a good sense of self-esteem. And at the heart of our craving for self-worth actually is a need for salvation. Because Every human being, whether they acknowledge it or not, just feel like they don't measure up. And the reason why they don't feel like they measure up is because everybody needs to, put, to be put into right standing with God. It's only when we're in right standing with God that we actually receive from Him the things that we need, our value, our worth, our love, our significance. As human beings, we were created to receive those things from God. But if there's a barrier between us and God, and we all start out with that barrier, and it gets bigger until something's done about it, then those things don't flow to us. And so we don't feel the sense of value and self-worth. 
And so we start to compensate for that by our position at work, or the car that we drive, or the people that we hang out with, the school that we go to, the university that we went to, the university that we sent our children to. All of these things puff us up because we have this sense that we just don't measure up, and it's because we don't measure up to God. Something needs to be done to put us into right standing with God. And it was no different with the Corinthians. If you look at verse 26 there, he says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. And not many of you were noble. Can you see the three things that they were depending on? Wisdom, power, lineage. And those who lacked those things felt ashamed. They felt a little bit despised. They felt weak. They felt low. Felt like nobodies. But being restored to right standing with God should have dealt with those crippling feelings. And they should deal with it in us as well. The Corinthian Christians had been saved from all of this by the gospel. And yet they were still viewing things through worldly spectacles. They didn't see themselves as people that had been transformed by God. And as a result, they brought their pre-salvation insecurities and, in, and their dependencies into the church. Well, how did that work out? Well, if I didn't feel like I had enough status, then I would say, I follow Apollos. Why would I use Apollos as the person that I follow? Well, because he was an amazing orator, and the Greeks really valued orat oratory. And so... Ah, well, I follow Apollos. In fact, I was baptized by Apollos. And so we compensate for that perceived lack by boasting. I follow Apollos. I was baptized by Apollos. And so the Corinthians were boasting because they were still influenced by their old dependencies. And that was causing them trouble. And folks, make no mistake. This is the same problem for us we also fall into this category. So how can it be fixed? And, and that's what today's passage is all about. We need to view these things through the lens of the gospel. Let's just read together. And you'll see that this is uh, where we're heading. If you look at the next slide. If we're looking at these things through the lens of the gospel, we need to depend on the message of the cross. We need to recognize the offense of the cross. And we need to boast in the Lord. So let's have a look, uh, and we'll just read from verse 17 through to verse 31. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and then he provides some Old Testament evidence from Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That puts us in our place, doesn't it? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is God's word. So let's move on straight into this concept of depending on the message of the cross or the word of the cross. You can see it there mentioned in verse 18. So that phrase that's in verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, that's a parallel phrase to the one that says the word of the cross. In other words, they're referring to the same thing. And in some versions of the Bible, the word of the cross is is translated as the message of the cross. So the word of the cross, or the message of the cross, is the gospel message. And we've talked about this quite a lot in recent weeks. But the gospel message is the good news of an objective, history-changing event that changes everything and that everybody needs to take into account. That's what the gospel message is. It's the good news about the fact that that man who lived 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was born in Nazareth, was actually the Messiah. He was God's son. He was both man and God. And he lived a perfect life so that he would be an acceptable sacrifice to die in our place on the cross. And then he was raised to life again showing that we too, if we put our faith and our trust in him, can be raised to new life. We can be put right with God so that there's nothing blocking us from God. So that that love and that value and that significance that we so desperately need can be found in God and not in things that are undependable. So why should we depend on the message of the cross? First of all, It is the power of God. Can you see there in verses 17 and 18? Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. We don't want to empty the cross of its power because it is powerful. And then he says here, but the word of God is to us who are being saved, the power of God. The cross of Christ, this message of the the cross, the gospel message is the power of God. It is the very power of God. In fact, not only is it powerful, but the second thing is that it's also wise. If you look at verses 19 to 20 there. At the time, it was thought that wisdom and discernment made a person somebody. Just as we think that whatever it is that we're boasting about makes us somebody, a person of account, a person of worth. And then verses 19 and 20, they list the type of people that were thought to be somebody at the time, the wise, the discerning, the scribe, and the debater. And that covered categories that were included in both the, the, the Jewish and the Gentile world. Now, folks, when we have a problem, we depend on our own wisdom and our own knowledge to come up with a plan 
to solve the problem. But sadly, our solution is often based on worldly wisdom. It's based on incomplete knowledge. Wisdom that doesn't come from God. Wisdom that excludes God. And that is not the kind of plan that we want to put our trust in. We need to seek God for his wisdom. After all, he made us. <laughs> he knows us. He knows what he had in mind. And his wisdom just shoots down in flames worldly wisdom. But why? Why is God's wisdom so useful and helpful? Well, it enab enables us, I love this, it enables us to know God. You know, that's the thing that I love about being a dad, is I get to know Catherine and Matthew, and they get to know me. Is it amazing one day that when we walk through the pearly gates, I don't, I don't happen to think it's going to be like this, but just for the sake of the illustration, you know, when we walk through the pearly gates, God says, there comes Wendy. I know Wendy. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that? Whatever, substitute your name. I know Corky. I know Trish. And the reason why he says that is not because... He didn't know them because he's not an all-knowing God. No, the reason why he says that is because during the course of their life on earth, they've developed a relationship with him, a reciprocal relationship that goes backwards and forwards. I know Wendy. I know Trish. And this is what the wisdom of God makes possible, the plan of God. For it says in verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It's not possible to get to know God through a plan that has been devised by man that excludes God. It's not possible. But it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. What do we preach? The message of the cross. To save those who believe. So it's impossible for all the somebodies in the world to know God through their own wisdom. And if despite all of their wisdom and cleverness, it was impossible for them to know God, what use was their wisdom? Yes, God's wisdom, God's way, God's plan for salvation seems like foolishness, but it enables us to know God, and it was God's wisdom to set things up in this way because he wants us to see that knowing God and being saved cannot depend on our own wisdom, our own efforts, and our own plan. If it did, why would we need God? But to know God, folks, we need God. And that's what the message of the cross teaches us. So the message of the cross enables us to know God. But it also enables us to know God and to be saved through belief. The word of the cross is the power of God to save. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But notice the pivot. Can you see the pivot on which salvation turns? It is to those who believe. It is required to put our faith and our trust in God. Paul's point is that it's not baptism. It's not baptism by a special person that saves Christians or gives them status. And Trevor explained that really well last week. Nor does eloquence, nor does worldly wisdom save people, nor do the things that we are depending on evidenced by what we're boasting in. 
Why would we want to use hollow boasts to save us when it is only the work of Jesus on the cross that can? So folks, where, just to summarize what we said in this first half, is that we're to, to, to depend on the message of the cross because it's the power of God, it's the wisdom of God, it enables us to know God, to enter into that reciprocal relationship with Him, and it enables us to be saved through belief. Now, at this point, it's really important for us to understand that this message of the cross is actually offensive to people. It can be offensive. And as Christians, we're not going to be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. We need to treat people with respect. We need to treat people with good manners. We need to present things in a humble way. But just understand that the message of the cross is offensive. And the first reason why is because it separates. You can find a hint of that in verse 18. It says there, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And then he contrasts that with those who are being saved. So the word of the cross actually separates human beings into two categories. There are those who are perishing and there are those who are being saved. To those who are perishing, the word of the cross is foolishness. It's folly. But to those who are being saved... It is the power of God. And so that's the first thing to recognize about the word of the cross. Even before we chat to people about it, it is going to be offensive to some. The second reason why it's offensive is because it cuts across the grain of our cultural beliefs. Look at verse 22. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ. Preach Christ, preach, preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So let's just consider the Jews. Christ was their word for the Messiah. So they just couldn't conceive, it was a complete scandal to them to put together Messiah and crucifixion. They just couldn't do that. Because when they looked at Jesus, they thought, how on earth can this man claim to be the Messiah? How can he claim to be the Messiah? Especially when he was crucified. Because crucifixion was punishment from God. The Old Testament says that anyone who's hung on a tree is actually cursed by God. So they saw the crucifixion as evidence of the fact that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And that's why it was a scandal to them. But what about the Greeks and the Romans? Well, we see that they seek wisdom. And it's folly to them. So the Greeks, they wanted wisdom. Um, what about other Gentile people? Well, to them, the crucifixion of a god was just inconceivable, let alone a person who claimed to be the Lord of Lords. How could that happen? Crucifixion was a death for a slave. It was a death for someone who had no value at all. It showed that that person had absolutely no power. So for them, the message of the cross was complete folly. The implication of all of this, folks, is that we can be tempted to try and win people to Christ with words of eloquent wisdom or something else that makes them feel valuable or safe. But folks, this is madness of the highest order. Only 
the word of the cross can save. But you know, if we preach some other word, not only will those who are perishing remain unsaved, but also those whom God is calling will be denied the very means by which they will be saved. And yet it's happening all the time. It can be so tempting to compromise the message of the gospel, not to keep it central, because it is offensive. And it's other things that draw people in. Even on the way to church today, I saw a billboard, Night of Signs and Wonders and Miracles. That's what the Greeks were looking for. Uh, the, 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 the Jews, I beg your pardon. They were looking for signs and wonders. There's many different ways. Smoke machines and lights, I don't know. Many different ways to try and attract people in. I mean, even, what, what do they call them? Silent discos. Have you heard of silent disco? Everybody comes to disco and it's completely silent because they've all got headphones on and they're listening to the same music. They've been having silent discos in um, Coventry Cathedral. And it's great because it brings people into church. But does it really save people? It's okay to bring people into church in that way, but it's only the gospel message that will bring salvation. So the message of the cross is offensive because it separates, it goes against the grain of culture. And now thirdly, it depends on God. Look at verses 22 to 24. Those who are saved are the ones who have been called by God. Do you see that in verse 24? But to those who are called, we seem to think that our salvation was initiated by our work, that it was initiated by our exploration, that we got curious about God. But you know, the only reason why we got curious about God, and I believe that if you're here today and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus and you're curious about God, it's because he's calling you. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, it says that before the creation of the world, we were chosen in him to be holy and blameless in God's sight. It says in love he predestined us to be adopted as children in Jesus Christ. God is the one who does the calling, and we respond to that. Look at verse 13. It says there, you are in Christ Jesus, but what is the cause of us being in Christ Jesus? And because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's because of God that we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus became God's wisdom. Why? Because Jesus was God's plan for our salvation. God, Jesus is God's solution to the problem. Folks, if we believe in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we must know that that is the only thing that enables us to receive righteousness. Do you see it there? Sanctification and redemption. Look at those three words just very briefly. What is that righteousness? Righteousness is right standing with God. It means that everything that was between us and God has been removed so that we can enter into this amazing relationship with God where we know him personally, where we receive his assurance that we are of value and are of worth. Righteousness, right standing with God. We talked about sanctification a few weeks ago, but basically that's just about being set apart as special to honor and glorify God and to serve God. That's what sanctification is. We only get that in Christ Jesus. It's only possible to be set apart from God once we've been adopted into his family, once we've become his children, because before 
we were enemies of God. And then redemption. That speaks of the price that is prayed, paid to set a slave free. Life of Jesus was the price tag for your redemption, and nothing else can pay the price. We need to know that today. And because it all depends on God, it elevates God and not man. And that's the fourth reason why we find the gospel offensive. Look at verses 26 to 28 there. The message of the cross is offensive because it brings to nothing everything that human beings value to put themselves right with God. We want to be our own saviors. Why do we want to be our own saviors? Because it makes us something. Maybe we feel like God can become our special assistant because we're the one who sought him. We're the one who earned our own salvation. Therefore, he's a powerful assistant who can do the things that we want him to do. Folks, if we want to be like God, and it grates us, we, folks, we want to be like God. That's our main problem as human beings. And verse 25 puts it like this. Even the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That's putting us in our right place. We want to be like God, but God's wisdom says, you aren't like me. <laughs> You're nothing like me. And so the message of the cross is offensive. It divides. It goes against the grain of culture. It depends on God, and it elevates God and not man. And this brings us to the last point. We asked a question in the title, boasting. Is it good or is it bad? Well, I think it depends on what we're boasting in, doesn't it? We need to boast in the Lord. Look at verse 30 and 31. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. What was the purpose of all that? So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Folks, imagine what your life would be like if it was a constant testimony to the fact that you depended on God, that you trusted in God. Remember, we said that what you boast in is what you trust in. So it must be evident to people that what I am trusting in is God and nothing else. They should be able to see that in my life. And if I'm doing that, I'm boasting. I'm boasting in the best possible way because I'm making God seem amazing. I'm making God look the way he actually is, this invisible God that people can't see. They can only see glimpses of him in creation and more accurately, one would hope, in you and I. Let's boast in God. Let's put our faith and our trust in God. And then I would also just say to you, if you're seeking um, God today and exploring faith and just wanting to find out more about it, um, the reason why you're here, I believe, is because God is calling you. He's, he's wakening these things up inside of you. And the message today is that you can have this personal relationship with God. You can enjoy being with Him every day. And then one day when you die and, and, and go to heaven, God will say, here he comes. Here comes so-and-so. I knew him. I know him. I know this person. 
That's the most beautiful thing. But, you know, the only way we can do that is, is to get ourselves in our right place, in our right place relative to God. We're not God. There's no ways that what you do and your searching and your seeking is going to save you. Only God can do that. And so we've just got to come to him in humility, recognize that we're not God and cross over the line to being like God. <laughs> just accept him. What is it that, um, that, that the, the people of the Reformation said? They said it is by grace, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the only way we're going to enter into this amazing relationship with God. That's God's wisdom. It happens through the cross. And then next week, um, when Trevor continues with this, we're also going to reflect on the fact that we often don't have an accurate perception of weakness. And so we often um, categorize people. And we often look down on people who, who are weak in worldly terms. But in actual fact, God has chosen to reveal himself in weakness. Yet the Bible says that his strength is perfected in our weakness. So we mustn't make this mistake of categorizing and people and thinking, well, because this person is from that race, they're inferior to us. Or because this person doesn't earn as much as me, I can discard them or not think about them or not treat them with the same respect that I treat other people. We're going to be talking about that. We need to be shaped by this understanding that God actually works through weakness. And many people that end up in heaven are going to be, I believe, far more greatly rewarded than us because they were in a position of weakness in life and they were that much more dependent on God. So let's just spend a moment in prayer. Even as we just um, sit here quietly, just ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to some of the things that you've been boasting in, some of the things that you've been putting your trust in for your self-worth, for your safety, um, for your value, for your need for love. What are those things? Just bring them before the Lord and ask him to forgive you for trusting in those things. Father God, as a congregation, we want to commit ourselves to boasting in you this week. Lord, help us to figure out how we can always show you in the best possible light. Help us to put our faith and our trust in you, first of all for our salvation, but then also just every day of the week as we go through our ordinary and mundane lives. And then I'd also just encourage you, if you are seeking. Um, just continue to seek. Um, ask God to reveal himself to you. Ask him to show himself to you um, so that you can enter into this amazing relationship with him. And, and if you are getting that stirring of, of belief and thinking, you know what, I, I believe this. I believe this message um, and want to chat to myself or someone about it, we'll be up here at the front. 
just for a little bit of time after the service, you can come and chat to us, and we can take it forward from there. Amen.